Who's bravado? Our collective. One, one's collective podcasting bravado. Where, where we both, might I add, predicted two wins for United. Uh, it didn't quite work out like that, did No, it? it certainly didn't. The first part of the week was magnificent. QPR and us winning and Man City losing. And, and that set up a really, really jubilatory atmosphere around the place. So celebratory. United fans feeling that the title was already won. And Lee Dixon giving us his five reasons, which were basically all the different things that go into playing football why City weren't winning and United were and yeah much of the day's attempt to curse us and make the title race interesting by declaring it all over has paid off and it's back to five points and as you were although without wishing to be overly hubristic about it with five points clear with five games left who wouldn't have taken that uh, three months ago Yes, I, I know, although of course that's a, it's a slightly odd way of looking at it. It's, it's a way of trying to forget what has actually just happened. So yeah, five points clear, five games to go. Of course, another way of thinking about that with Manchester City's now restored goal difference advantage is that we're actually a defeat at Eastlands and a draw on the final day away from losing the title. If City win all their games, which of course uh, there's no guarantee, but uh, a noticeably different rhetoric from Roberto Mancini over the last couple of days, I thought, ever since the loss to Arsenal he's been trying to take the pressure off his players seemed to work a thumping win over West Bromwich I don't think either of us well I certainly didn't think they'd um, win that easily and, and United all of a sudden look like they're under pressure I mean we've had a scrappy win over Fulham fortunate not to give away a penalty right in the last bit a scrappy win over QPR fortunate to get a penalty uh, sure I would go so far as to call that scrappy yes well and it dom- dominated possession but, but it, it wasn't a wonderful performance aside from that I didn't think we can get onto this and 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 then uh, then obviously a defeat to to Wigan so all of a sudden our hubris my hubris the fans hubris uh, seemed to have filtered down to the players who took somewhat of a complacent view of things I thought at the DW and seemed to uh, play like they thought they'd won or they'd just had 18 pints one of the two maybe both yeah at Matt at Big Red underscore M Matt from Ramble United tweeting this is just like when we're 1-0 up uh, in games except on a bigger scale the whole of the Wigan performance but let's start with QPR you described it as a scrappy win I think that's a little I don't, I don't know it just didn't seem like a scrappy win for me at all uh, from the first minute of the game Paul goals was not put under any pressure at all and I thought we're going to absolutely batter these lot and I think we would have potentially even I don't know I think I'm not sure them getting a player sent off did us too many favours because they became very content to protect their goal difference yeah well yeah although to be honest I I don't think it changed their tactics at all did it I mean they were they came to sit back and stick plenty of men behind the ball and and that's what they did yeah absolutely but they kind of showed no attacking intent whatsoever really did they obviously we have to talk about the Decision. I mean, let's move aside the fact that it was clearly offside. That's not up for debate. Which whatsoever. decision are we talking about here? <laughs> the decision to, to field the Evans Ferdinand partnership again? <laughs> yes, Ed. That's the decision I'm talking about. No, I'm talking about the horrible, cheating, nasty, pathetic, non-Manchester United-worthy uh, collapse that Ashley Young took upon feeling the light touch of a gentleman's hand on his side. One might say Ashley Young likes to go down with that light touch. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I just, I found it sickening. And the more, more I watched it, uh, sickening is obviously way too strong a word, given things in the world that are actually sickening. But it's just pathetic. It's it's a game, ultimately. It's a sporting competition. There's no point in engaging in sporting competition if you're prepared to cheat to win. I completely take your point here uh, and agree with it in, in uh, many ways. And, and Ashley Young clearly took a tumble. And uh, Actually, I've been fairly vocal with a few people on Twitter. He was also a foul. I absolutely. And uh, we can get on to debating that one if you want, but uh, I'm pretty confident in my viewpoint there, so is the FA. One thing I'd say is a very, very, very good reason why Ashley Young dived, and we had an example of it at the DW, where uh, Danny Welbeck's shirt was almost ripped from his back. He didn't go down and didn't get a penalty. I totally agree, and it's a real shame that there is a kind of how's that mentality where you basically have to appeal to get a decision, uh, you know, as it were. Yeah. You, have, you have to go down in order to make it clear to the referee that it's a foul. I mean, yeah, okay, I'm sure I'm sure it's a foul by Derry, but 
he, I, having seen it numerous times with numerous angles, I'm really not at all convinced he put enough pressure on Ashley Young to even unbalance him. You know, it was it was incredibly minimal contact. No, fair enough. But he did try to grab Ashley Young though. The way I see this is that there there aren't any degrees of fouls, right? It's just a foul, or it's not a foul, and uh, the offside is irrelevant because I mean that was clearly a poor mistake, and and QPR are extremely unlucky. Uh, but once that has gone, and the re- and the uh, assistant referee didn't give it, uh, the the referee had one choice to make. Did he think there was a foul there? There he obviously did, and of course he was conned by Ashley Young into giving it. And then he only had one choice to make after that because quite patiently it was a clear, a clear goal scoring opportunity. So things conspired against QPR in in uh, in that way, and and all. Of course, Ashley Young conspired against them too to, to get the result, which ended up in a double punishment for, for the visitors, which was pretty unlucky. And I guess that's why I thought it was a scrappy win. I mean, maybe that's not the right word. It was a, it was a fortunate win in many ways and fortunate uh, to win against Fulham as well. Fortunate to win against Norwich a few weeks back. And we've had a few of those in a row. And, and I suppose in that way, our, our hubris was a, a bit overdone, wasn't it? And when when it came to, to beating Wigan. Well, uh, no, I, I mean, I don't think that the QPR win was in the least bit fortunate. I think that that's a huge distraction from the reality of that game which is that we would have we would have won that game regardless of what happened and it's kind of an interesting thing to me about Ashley Young's dive and where he's come from as a player you know he was at Villa where winning a set piece would often have been the difference between victory and defeat we just don't need to do that against QPR for United I mean the people that kind of say well listen it's part of the game you've got to get whatever advantage you can and I mean that's not the way I would like football to be played but I understand the competitive professional reality is different to my lovely Guardian reading moral pie in the sky you know how I'd like things to be but even with a completely like cynical real politic view of the world Ashley Young does not need to dive to win a penalty against QPR for us to beat QPR we'll just beat them anyway if you want to do that against Barcelona in the semi-final of a Champions League or even a a team that's pushing us for the title then that's reasonable but relegation contenders at home you don't have to cheat to win set pieces I I don't know I think your morals are a little flexible there Paul so it's it's all right to cheat Barcelona but not to cheat QPR no it's it's not all right at all it'd be I, I would love to live in a world where that isn't part of any sporting arena I, I think I mean I really so, so there's an interesting piece by Gary Neville in, in the same morning I think there's some irony in this uh, irony coincidence maybe a bit of both in that uh, he said that he grew up uh, being taught that uh, diving or falling over was soft in his words and and then uh, age 14 or 15 they started playing competitive football against uh, teams from the continent and there was lots of diving going on uh, invoking an old cliche but uh, this is the way Neville put it uh, and uh, over the years he's adjusted his mentality and he made the exact point that if players don't go down they don't get the the foul and the penalty and that's why they do it these days he's saying that it it is needed and I don't think uh, I think it's irrelevant whether it's QPR or, or Fulham or Barcelona or the Harlem Globetrotters uh, if uh, if we're saying that that thing kind of thing is not acceptable at United then we have to say it's not acceptable at United or accept that this is the way football is and it's a lot dirtier than we'd like it to be and it's the Corinthian spirit is well and truly dead. I mean, I, I I just don't think there's any need for us to say that because we can definitely win the league as the, as it currently stands without having to cheat to do it. And frankly, even if we cheat, we're not going to win the European Cup. So might as well just not cheat. And, you know, the, the whole thing of like it, it was a foul and it was the only way to call it to the referee's attention. I'm pretty confident that's not Ashley Young's thinking. His thinking is, oh, 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 he's touched me. If I go down now, I might get a penalty. And I've got a question about the, the sending off. You say it's a clear goal scoring opportunity and he's stopped it yeah obviously we're not we don't play basketball this is not a, a situation where there's no harm no foul which is one of the rules of basketball here it doesn't matter whether there's harm or not in terms of whether it's a foul or not but in terms of denial of a clear goal scoring opportunity don't you have to actually do something which would stop the player from scoring a goal to do that isn't doesn't there have to be a, a level of foul committed in order for it to be a denial because a touch on the back there wasn't going to even put Ashley Young off balance well, well no sorry but that, that's uh, that's not the calculation that the referee's making at all Young's on the floor yeah 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 yeah. he's seen the foul Young's right. on the floor so so the ball's going through Young uh, he would have had to make a calculation would the ball have been taken by Paddy Kenny rather than 
Ashley yeah. Young and he'd have made a calculation that that wasn't the case and therefore Young would have had a clear shot at goal and therefore it was a goal scoring opportunity and I, I don't think there was any doubt about that part of it yeah uh, harsh on QPR that one but I, I don't think it affected the result either way and all over my Twitter feed absolutely covered was people saying I think Paul Scholes is going to score today and it wasn't just a kind of feeling in my bones that I thought Paul Scholes was going to score it was the fact that they just gave him so much room to do whatever he wanted and what a delight it is to see him thump one in from outside the box I mean oh just like put everything rational aside for one moment and just rejoice in the existence of Paul Scholes and the fact that he's back playing this incredibly high level of football for us I know it's terrible indictment on the way our club's being run at the highest level that we're so reliant on a 37 year old footballing genius but my goodness in his when he's in his flow it's wonderful to see and and to see it topped off with a classic Scholes belter from outside the box was was just wonderful. Well, he'd had a couple of slices beforehand as well, yeah. I mean, you're right. QPR gave him so much space that uh, they barely made any effort to stop him playing at all. I mean, it's not that he can't work his way around uh, tight marking anyway. His touch is so good. But, uh, but it, you know, we've spoken many times about how the, the way to combat skulls is to get tight, play a high-tempo pressing game and, and pressure. And, of course, it made it harder having only 10 men. Of course it did. But uh, he had the freedom of Old Trafford for most of that game and, and probably would have done even if QPR had 11. So, yeah, great great see Skulls score. That's his third goal since coming back. Uh, in some interesting stats this week, he's had 769 minutes of football, 813 passes, 92.37% successful. The, the numbers are fantastic. I think he's created 15 chances for his teammates. That's not that's not assists necessarily, but, uh, but the numbers are excellent and he's had a real impact. He's been key to United's progress over the last few months, well, ever since the Newcastle game, really. And, and his absence was key felt against Wigan wasn't it it really was but before we get on to Wigan I I thought I'd briefly touch on the Man City Arsenal game because uh, of course you know don't like to talk about City too much but lots of stuff happened in that one which is worth talking about don't you think and some interesting fallout from the referee's reaction to Mario Balotelli's red card and non-red card yeah I mean I guess sadly it's not quite as topical as it was because City have bounced back so emphatically against West Brom but the City's cracking up chance seemed to be very apropos during that game Balotelli just looked like a complete liability on the football ramble they said it looked like he was a player not really playing for either side in that game he was just another bloke on the pitch doing random stuff of his own accord yeah it's a, it's a good analysis I mean, it's just I just find it incredible that he hadn't been something it was just so obvious that he was out to get a red card I mean he could have had three in the match I mean there was obviously the, the tackle on Song which was knee high and, and in the vernacular a leg yeah. breaker uh, shocking every single time but there were two others that were high before he even managed to get himself sent off yeah remarkably odd management from Mancini almost as if I don't know (laughs) without wanting to get all conspiratorial about it given that that's been (laughs) swirling around again this week almost as if he sort of wanted to let Balotelli get himself sent off so he didn't have to think about whether to pick him again (laughs) well he said he wouldn't Uh, and unfortunately for him the FA have decided that uh, football is refereed on the pitch alone and and because the officials said they saw it and, and gave no decision that they they won't reverse that one which which I actually I understand the thinking uh, in that uh, you don't want to have to re-referee every decision because if you open that floodgate which decisions do you not re-referee so so I do understand uh, the referee's point of view there but they won't actually punish the referees either so I mean if, if they're not going to re-referee the referees they do have to mark the referees performance surely and if the referees have admitted they saw that challenge and gave nothing then uh, they are pretty culpable for that failure and perhaps they ought to be serving the three match ban that Balotelli is yeah it's an interesting point it's a very difficult it is very difficult what seems to me to be really odd in this situation is that the referee said he saw the incident but he, he can't have seen what actually happened surely no and there was some talk that he was partially unsighted so he probably didn't he thought he saw the incident but he didn't see it all and he, he didn't see the studs connect with the knee but he thought right. he did uh, he, I mean he presumably thought it was perfectly acceptable a perfectly acceptable kneecapping attempt from Mario Balotelli there you go but but I mean he he, he does get the three match ban of course because he he, uh, he gets the one match ban for the two yellow cards and two extra because it's his fourth of the season uh, there's some talk he could have got a nine match ban because he 
Reed have got an extra three-match ban for violent conduct, making it six, plus an extra three for it being his fifth red card of the season. It'd be quite interesting. Uh, probably deserved it for that tackle, but but he, he gets three matches, so he could be back before the end of the season. And given Mancini's penchant for forgiving players, uh, Carlos Tevez back this week, started and scored against West Brom. I guess we'll see Balotelli again before the summer, uh, unless, of course, the title is gone by then. Doesn't look like that'll be the case now, of course. But then uh, I, I would suspect we won't see Balotelli in England next season. That'd be a real surprise if he It would. Um, his destination, I think, is a really interesting point because it's not at all clear where he's going to end up because who'd want him? Legitimately, I mean, you know, Mourinho couldn't handle I saw a lot of, maybe we touched on this last week, saw a lot of talk of people saying, you know, he could have been controlled at United. Fergie would have known what to do with him. Not convinced about that at all. Well, he, he couldn't control Ravel Morrison, yeah. so um, we've had good evidence that that, that uh, Fergie isn't necessarily omnipresent, uh, at least anymore. Maybe, maybe the fear factor's gone. To put it crudely, the term is f*** you money. And that's what uh, Balotelli and all these young kids have these days. They just don't care yeah, enough. No, absolutely. It's difficult to maintain authority when you don't have any actual power over the players except team selection, which isn't important enough to certain type of player. But yeah, I mean, I was, I'm quite glad that I had a bit of a rant about the existential virtue of Eric Cantona versus Mario Balotelli last week. Uh, evidence, further evidence into the column. Cantona would never have let his team down like that, I don't think, on, in, in that kind of way. He would never have looked disinterested to that extent in an important title-deciding game. No, he wouldn't have looked disinterested. He certainly got a few red cards in key games, uh, which uh, wasn't always great behaviour, and got a very lengthy ban, which didn't exactly help United in the 95 Premier League title race. Well, no, <laughs> no, that's all right. That's a reasonable point. He did karate kick a member of the crowd, which is not generally considered acceptable, but it's different because <laughs> he's Eric. Wigan. Oh, God, do we have to? It was miserable. I mean, OK, so team comes out. You see the team selection. You think this is going to be dreadful because it's been dreadful all season. Every time he's played Giggs and Carrick, it's such a reversal of last season where Giggs and Carrick was an infinitely preferable choice to Skulls and Carrick. But now, I mean, it's just not even slightly close. It's it's just a kind of cringe factor when you see that Giggs is going to be playing in centre mid. And there's no disrespect intended to the Manchester United legend, legitimate usage of the term. That is Ryan Giggs, but it's just horrible when that, when that team sheet comes out. But obviously, Fergie's made a calculation and thought. I mean, he's not stupid. He knows it's not going to be fluent and wonderful football because it hasn't been at all at all this season when he's done it, and he must know that. But he's thought that there would be enough about that team, enough attacking prowess, enough solidity at the back. Wigan will tire late in the match, and you know they they probably won't offer that much threat to United, so that it's worth the gamble of risking skulls because he's not in a state to play two games, three games in a week. Uh, but it just didn't work it was we talked about Fergie the gambler so many times and this is one of those gambles where he made a perfectly reasonable calculation and it did not pay off even slightly yeah I mean of course the, the alternative was to go back to Tom Cleverley who is fit again and, and came on for the second half look I think I think it's got to the point with Ryan Giggs I mean he has such a stinker against Wigan such a massive stinker but then again he's had that game quite a lot recently so it was almost Gary Neville moment yeah, yeah, Neville, West, Brom, yeah. West Brom embarrassingly awful that was the moment he did decided that he couldn't carry on. Now, Giggs has signed a new contract. He'll be back with us next season, but he's done nothing to earn it. And as you said, no disrespect here, but it's just the performances, right? The performances aren't there. That was not a performance of Premier League standard uh, against Wigan. He, he offered nothing defensively, all over the place defensively. And a quarter of the time, more than a quarter of the time, he gave the ball away. So, you know, we talked about Paul Scholes' past stats, you know, 92.37% accurate. And, and those aren't all safe balls by any chance either. And gigs, 70% accurate, right? I mean, if you're giving the ball away that often, you're just gifting possession back to the opposition. And it's bad enough against top opposition. Uh, it's criminal when you're, you know, you're going away and, and trying to win a game and and you've got an opposition that's you know, really up for it and just, you know, giving the impetus back to them every single time. So I thought it was unforgivable, that performance. I just thought it was totally bizarre that he stayed on for the entire 90. Uh, and uh, I mean, I mean, I kind of almost forgivable that United just couldn't get its grip with the 3-4-3 although I presume they actually did some work on it it didn't look like it but I presume they did some work on it but they chopped and changed the tactics so often that it can't be a surprise to anyone that it was a complete mess of a game we ended up with four forwards or four players in forward positions and it looked basically like we had Giggs and Valencia in the centre Danny Welbeck on the right and Narnie on the left for the last 15 minutes it was all over the place Wayne Rooney started up front went into the centre and midfield then went to the left then was hauled off 
top scorer. So uh, as much as the players were massively complacent, quite clearly because there was no urgency in their play at all, I thought Ferguson was as well. And he was culpable for some pretty odd decisions. I mean, you, you said last week uh, we need to go to Sunderland and get a point or something. Fergie won't be able to help himself and he'll make loads of changes because he can't help himself. And, and that's what he did. And not only did he tinker with the team, which you can kind of understand needing to rest players and, and change it around and stuff. But then he, he messed around with the formation completely and consistently throughout the game as well. And it caused United a real problem. And, and in the end, Wigan were, were massively good value for their uh, Antonio Valencia, who's been our player of some part of the season I don't know we're going to have to subdivide these player of the season awards when it comes time Valencia's been superb uh, he wasn't able to be nearly as effective because uh, Wigan defended well against him but also having Phil Jones behind him instead of Raphael seemed to make an enormous difference uh, Phil Jones not having a particularly good game at right back by any stretch of the imagination no D- didn't have a good one at all he's a worry to me old Phil Jones I saw a lot of oh you know what I don't like Phil Jones at right back yesterday and it's I, I understand that viewpoint but where, where do you like him because don't like him in the centre of defence where he's basically given a goal away you know been personally culpable for a goal every time he's played in central defence definitely don't like him in central midfield where the old headless chicken routine has come into it time and time again he looks positionally naive and you know not brilliant in possession Uh, so right back is like the least worst place to play him but but yesterday I don't know it seems like he's got all that energy and drive and bombast and it's it's odd to put that out on the right it doesn't seem to work so it's it's a it's a worry where do you play Phil Jones yeah it's, it's one we'll have to work out I think next season and I, I, it didn't make a lot of sense making that change for me I, I don't think Raphael's looked burnt out in fact he, he seemed to be coming in some real form for me I, I thought over the last few games he's, he's found some consistency hasn't made any uh, you know, massive errors hasn't been shirt pulling which is his favourite thing of course and has been in the team more often than not and it was probably one of those changes that was unnecessary and made me focus and thought Phil Jones really needed a game with, with big games coming up I've said this before I think uh, centre-back will be his best position eventually and he just needs to eradicate all the errors and understand how to play the position in a, in a way that's up to United standard uh, and then, then that'll be his position because I, I don't think he'll ever make a midfielder of any note and and uh, right back uh, he, he's done okay at times this season but he'll be limited there uh, Raphael I think you kind of can't blame Fergie for not wanting to put loads of physical pressure on Raphael because every time it's ever happened to him he's crumbled you know he's, he's so injured prone it's untrue so giving giving him a rest when I mean you say he didn't look burnt out but I don't think resting Raphael can ever really can you can never really have a go at Fergie for feeling it's important to keep Raphael very fresh and not play him twice in a week I mean can you imagine what this squad would where we'd be in the league if we'd somehow managed to make it through the Champions League because like well our midweek performances have just been awful all season and it's you know we just don't have the squad for it when it comes to predominantly midfield it's just such a big problem still and I just read to think what's going to happen next season yeah well I mean uh, Ferguson is on the hunt for for some midfielders for sure I mean it's all going to come down to money and and uh, what he can get there you would suspect he'll get another young-ish fairly cheap midfielder that will come in and and there'll be some inconsistency there still Skulls he talked about he he can't continue this level of performance he can't do it I mean he at best he's going to get one game a week but he's he's having one game a week while playing only half a season I I think uh, for a full season he'll play less than that he'll play the 25 or 30 games across all competitions that Ferguson talked about before and that's not one game a week that's half the season at best and and we'll have to find someone else to, to be in there consistently and and maybe it's Tom Cleverley but the lad has shown no propensity to stay fit uh, throughout his entire career so if you want to chuck all your eggs in that one basket we better we better be thinking about who else we can recall into the squad maybe Brian Robson needs a game you know I don't know or Roy Keane or whatever so it's uh, it for me that is no kind of strategy it wasn't any kind of strategy last summer it'll be insane after what we've seen this season to pretend uh, we could do it again uh, I wouldn't be surprised to hear Ferguson lauding Anderson again um, but the burger eating one uh, has never stayed fit in four and a half well nearly four and three quarter years with the club now so if you're putting your money on Anderson it, it's a pretty foolish bet and 
Ferguson being the gambler and the horse racer, even he doesn't like long odds like that one. So I, I don't know. It's a problem that we'll have to deal with in the summer. For now, uh, if he plays anyone other than Carrick and Scholes for every single game of the rest of the season, I will throw a fit. I mean, I said I'll throw a fit on Twitter when if he keeps running gigs on. He did, and then, believe me, I was throwing a fit. At Analyst8 asks, how on earth did Giggs play 90 minutes after having a mare? Uh, do you have a legitimate answer to that question, Ed? Because I, I really don't. No, I don't. It was actually bizarre. So so what Ferguson did was he, he, he hauled off Rooney and, and brought on Nani and uh, and, well, and Welbeck for Hernandez. And so basically Welbeck played for about 10 minutes. Welbeck played up top and they sort of went this 4-5-1 with, with Cleverly and Carrick and Giggs as a three in midfield. But Giggs is still shanking the ball, literally shanking the ball out, you know? And when you're hoping that he'll play a decent pass. And then they switched it all around and Giggs went up front uh, when they got really desperate and they sort of went to a 4-2-4. And, and and Giggs played up front with Valencia basically for a while and, and uh, Welbeck sort of mulling around there and then Phil Jones knacked himself and, and went up front too and utterly bizarre utterly bizarre that Giggs stayed I couldn't believe it to be honest I thought he was just playing he was having such a such a mare of a game nothing was coming off for him and, and we've said before that even when he's passing badly he creates chances when he had the opportunity to play in a ball uh, there was one where I thought okay here we go there's a there's a clear runner going it was, yeah, it was a ball had to go from left to right and he kicked it about 40 yards over the goal I was, uh, yeah, head in hands time at that one yeah I mean that's that's the reason you keep him on I guess is that even when he's having terrible games he pulls out an assist for or a goal out of nowhere you know he's done that a lot and so I look this, come on if, if you want an assist or a goal out of nowhere who would you have on Rooney or Giggs yeah no absolutely I I, I, I agree but you know I mean Alex Ferguson is the best football manager of all time it doesn't mean that I don't think he can ever make a mistake obviously I think he made a ton of mistakes against Wigan but I think it's you know it is that whole gambling mentality it's like you don't always win your long shot gambles but you know he he plays the odds in our favour most of the time and he had had an absolute stinker Fergie had an absolute stinker against Wigan I I think you know it was a a real shocker but I'm always inclined to give him the benefit of the doubt in the sense of looking for a reason why he's done what he's done because he's just so phenomenally successful and it is baffling sometimes Fergie he really is baffling and it, it's the whole thing of like is he trying to win it with one hand tied behind his back like when he lets Nanny take the corners you know is he just trying to give us a handicap you know? yeah uh, well I, I don't think so but I, I think he, he made uh, quite a lot of mistakes yesterday you know I know it'll never happen I wish he'd turn around and said look my fault I screwed that one up and yeah. uh, we, we got some things wrong there but he blamed the players and then he blamed the ref and that was nonsense of course because uh, I mean you can you can blame the ref in that United you know, didn't get a penalty for Maynard Figaro's clear handball a penalty every single time except when the referee doesn't see it uh, and of course the tug on Welbeck but then Johnny Evans stayed on the pitch and he shouldn't have been on the pitch he he, uh, he went straight through the back of a Wigan player when he was already on the yellow card and it's, that's a red card every time as well for me so those not that they even themselves out but we got fortunate as well as getting unlucky in that one yeah absolutely and of course what we we're clearly failing to address is the real story here which is that the brilliant investigative minds at the Blue Moon Forum and Rourke had unearthed the underlying conspiracy to such an extent that it was being talked about on Sky and Match of the Day and getting, you know, mainstream attention. (laughs) And by Kenny as well. And so the powers... Yeah, right, yeah. And so the powers that be, you know, in order to kind of quell their righteous fire, which is based on the real truth that we've bought off all the referees and everything, had to throw this one just so it didn't look too much like a conspiracy. Like, oh, look, look, he done a handball and Man United didn't get a penalty. Oh, there can't be a conspiracy now. That's just because they were getting to the truth. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're right. It's somewhere in some deep, dark passage of Wembley, Deep Throat knows what's going on. Absolutely. OK, two really uh, two interesting questions. One which we've covered about Atkinson from Johnny B007. Uh, but this one I was a really interesting question I don't know what I think the answer is but says, does Fergie's reliance on gigs and skulls show that actually he hasn't really got the stomach to rebuild the team this time I kind of understand where it's coming from I don't think the, the the stomach as in you know the bottle or the bravery or something like that is it I think he would throw some players on if he thought they were good enough now uh, of course we've had the conversation this season about the younger players and I mean the 
proper younger players these kind of youth team as not getting an opportunity and basically very few I mean Pogba's had a few games he's been in a few squads but rarely played and really Ferguson only seemed to increase his interest in the player when he refused to sign a contract Morrison didn't really get any games and then got shipped out of the club Zicky Fry's had a couple of games but but basically not a lot of young players have uh, been brought through other than those that were brought in so you know Jones and Smalling and, and the De Silva brothers and De Gea and, and all of that so on the one hand you could say yeah it looks like he's not thrown as many youngsters in as he once had and and he's relying on uh, waning stars uh, instead uh, on the other hand plenty of inexperienced youngsters in the squad anyway and perhaps he felt that was the best route to balance it out yeah and actually I think Giggs is decline I mean I'm totally ready for Ryan Giggs to come back and have another good run of form before the end of his career and actually this not to be a Gary Neville against West Brom moment but rather a sort of you know a lull when actually then he gets a bit of a rest and he picks back up again but equally that this could be you know it could be a terminal decline but his decline has been pretty quick and it's been much more pronounced in the second half of the season and partly also he's you know he scored that crucial goal against Norwich he imbues the Manchester United spirit throughout the team he I'm sure helps teach the youngsters what it means to play at Manchester United and and there's a reliance on Skulls and Giggs as part of the team building and actually his kind of reliance on Skulls in particular on the pitch to get any decent form out of United that's practicality that's not any kind of sentiment I think Giggs I I wonder whether that there's an aspect of historical practicality not being quite as relevant today as it might have been I mean you know keeping him on against Wigan in the hope that he he pulled something out as he's done so many times in the past does look like a bit of a long shot especially in retrospect we're on a real cusp I think of pushing the boundaries of squeezing every last drop of performance out of gigs and skulls uh, skulls as fantastic as he's been I, I, I'm willing to put large amounts of money that he will not be this fantastic next season I completely agree 100% and and gigs I, I'm getting to the point where I think he's gone and it would be be better for the great man to retire in the summer now he's not going to do that he's already signed the new contract hasn't he he will be with us for another year I'm I'm pretty sure skulls will as well although that that contract's not signed so there's still the chance that he'll wander off into the sun again if he gets the feeling that he can't be a big part of United next season so um, who knows I suspect they'll both be in the squad and they'll both be used quite heavily and I'm also I'm not not exactly going out on a limb here I don't think United are going to spend big in the summer it'd be interesting to see the strategy actually whether it's just uh, throw all the money at one player or or go for a few younger players again I would have thought the first is a much more sensible strategy Uh, otherwise we risk going down the Liverpool route and diluting quality of the first 11 for a bigger squad which uh, I don't think would make a lot of sense But, but there you go yeah back to the original question does he have the stomach for youngsters I think he does I don't think he believed in any of the reserve players could come in and make a real difference and I think he believes more in gigs and skulls and I think that says a lot for the state of the Manchester United squad at the moment uh, talking the state of our squad at Tushar MUFC asks a question about Chicharito and Welbeck not scoring enough goals recently says he's kind of worried about that and and understandably so I, I, mean, I think Welbeck Welbeck's looked really really ropey and front of goal one in one in 14 yeah I think it's not the strongest part of his game I mean Welbeck offers lots but uh, if he wants to be a really top striker he needs to score more often undoubtedly I mean otherwise he's just the next Emil Heskey oh no don't say that that's not a good thing to say <laughs> and Chicharito he's not had a great season but it's been a really disrupted one and uh, disrupted initially by uh, international duty then two injuries uh, and then he's been out of the side because Welbeck's in then he's been in and out and there's been a lot of changing and he's not had a, a run of games at all and so it's been a difficult season for him he doesn't look good at the moment uh, for sure but but there's uh, there's no doubt he's he's a goal scorer and I, I think he'll be a fine player for United of course uh, the money is there on the table from Real Madrid like every summer it, it's it's like a standing uh, you know like you almost call it a joke now but it's uh, it's there if they want him if United want to sell they can and uh, I suppose if we're in um, dire need of the cash in order to rebuild and Ferguson thought that was sensible it, it would happen uh, he's not the type of personality to push for it so I suspect that Hernandez will be with United for quite some time to come and I think he'll develop and but you know even with that said anyone actually complaining about Chicharito's performances should be forced to support a team that has lost all you know have the points taken off them that he's won us this season because you know we, we would not have a five point cushion if it weren't for crucial Chicharito goals so true some very crucial goals and, and Welbeck yeah I, I think I kind of think I mean he'll probably go to the Euros but I kind of think they should stick him in front of goal or something 
done that and do some like shooting practice. I know this isn't this isn't football manager. You can just tick the box. Go spe- special training shooting. <laughs> yeah, uh, but nice if you could. But but something has got to happen in order to. And we we know of course Fergie listens. So you know I told Fergie you should stick Chicharito in ball and blast footballs at him until he learn how to control it. And what happened? Absolutely outstanding control in the the game afterwards. And we talked about that one. So there you go, Fergie. Shooting practice for Danny Welbeck. A question: Who must go in the summer, both because of finances and the balance of the squad and tactics? That's a question from at Abdullah Husseini. I don't think there's going to be a lot of departures. I mean, it looks increasingly like Pogba will go. No money will come for that, and Nani is interesting. Uh, Juventus again but that that's again been standing interest uh, from them there so um, who knows uh, the problem is you dilute any of the squad there's, aside from you know we might lose skulls because he might not want to carry on uh, and, and maybe some uh, obviously Berbatov's going and there might be might be the end of Park but if we, if we lose any players you've got to replace them very different situation to going into the summer season last summer when there was a ton of yep. players at the squad that you thought wanted to be got rid of this summer is just going to be the tragic departure of uh, <laughs> top he's going to go well, he's definitely going to go. I don't think he'll play another game for United again. It, it almost feels personal now. It's weird. I don't get. I don't get it because it's not like we couldn't have used him. Yeah, right. You could definitely have used him last night. So toothless in front of goals, three shots on target all game or whatever it was. Was he even that good? And of course, we could have used something a bit different. I mean, being being a massive Berbatov defender, though, even even being you know so much in his camp, I can never quite argue that he should have been played because he would have made a difference to the game. There's just no way of knowing because he just was equally capable of being incredibly frustrating and never being able to get into the game and then looking a bit sullen and getting substituted as he was of scoring seven goals in one game or whatever. Um, at Park is an interesting one. The old don't you sell my Park chant not quite having the same feeling now. I mean, he has had an excellent career at Manchester United and, and I, I think it's probably would be to his benefit and to the club's benefit to, to get rid of him, but I, I'm sure he's not on really astronomical wages and he does serve some sort of useful purpose. Uh, well, he hasn't been serving any kind of useful purpose recently and and uh, I have to say in the performances he's had, it's not so much three lungs park as sort of two and a quarter lungs park, so the, that old energy has gone and, and park without energy is no kind of park at all. <laughs> two and a quarter lungs is still more than most human beings have, you know that right Ed? You know it's not less than most people have I, I don't know I, you know I'm, I'm pretty blessed with lungs I reckon <laughs> no no I'm really not we've had a question from at happy hero Howard asks will there be less hubris in this week's rank cast <laughs> yeah just a bit <laughs> I, I've gone I've gone from being totally bombastic about my predictions for United to thinking Christ if we lose at Eastlands now goal difference advantage is gone we could well go to the last game of the season uh, needing a win at Sunderland because a draw uh, with a City win City play at home on the last day could mean that we we're equal on points and therefore the goal difference will come into it it's a scenario that seems pretty realistic I mean we'll, we'll go to Eastlands a couple of weeks time now and uh, I'm sure we'll play five in midfield and and all of that and we'll hope to grind out a win or a draw and a draw will be a fantastic result of course and if it goes wrong there's going to be huge huge pressure on United and of course we need before that to win a couple of games against Villa and Everton then maybe there'll be a bit of hubris again and I'll be feeling a bit more confident but I tell you what that Wigan performance hasn't half dented it yeah absolutely because you almost don't think it's possible for United to put in a performance like that at this stage in the season but this this United side just does not have the same level of mental strength that past United sides have had and it's not to say that, that it doesn't have mental strength because I think it clearly does and actually I think compared to other football teams it's it's remarkably mentally tough but you know the, the the whole thing of like molly coddled spoiled footballers and the amount of money they get paid in the adulation and blah 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 has made a massive difference to the psychological profile of this united side so i don't think it's about being molly coddled and i don't think it's about bo- i definitely don't think it's about bottling it i think they thought they'd already won the title and they went to Wigan and went, once they'd got in that mindset already, it just they could just couldn't change it. Yeah, but, but I mean... You know, I, I think they thought they'd already won it. They they looked like they were... Wayne Rooney looked like he was hungover. I mean, given his New Year exploits, he might well have been. That would explain why he was taken off as well, because whenever something unusual happens with Rooney on the pitch, you assume there's some sort of disciplinary reason behind the scenes. Um, but I think I think that whole looking like they won the title is actually because... Uh, the reason I mentioned Moddy Coddled and Adulation and all that is the effect that it has on the players and and the men that they become you know because of their young adult experiences and their late adolescent experiences they don't have the self-discipline 
in the knowledge. Roy Keane would not have been acting like the title was won, and no one in his team would have done. You know, because there was a there was a, a generation that understood the game in a kind of I don't know, just understood what it took to you know be a consistent winner or whatever in a, in a different way and, and just wouldn't have been celebrating the title early. It's become a cliche, hasn't it? But maybe that's a wake-up call. Uh, we feel like we had that against City, we had that against Blackburn and Newcastle, we had that after we were dumped out of Europe twice. Uh, it, there appears to have been about 10 of them this season, but, but it's the last chance. That's uh, can't, can't play it again. I mean, um, I know City have not been great away from home, so they, there's still a chance they'll drop points, but... but there seemed to be a mental shift. I think Roberto Mancini is attempting to remove the pressure from them and uh, they just need to get a couple of wins and all the pressure will be on United for that derby game and they're betting all their chips on that one now, aren't they? So it's there's there's no second chances now. United, uh, more points dropped. It's really going to be massively squeaky bum time because more points dropped and, and then suddenly it's in City's hands if they beat us. So. Oh, it's all very exciting. Yeah, yeah. My bum is definitely squeaky. A few lads who may have squeaky bums this week also. Uh, the Youth Cup side who've been really a delight to watch, I think, through this campaign. And, and mixed results along the way, of course. They're not doing wonderfully well in the Academy League, uh, but managed to get to the semi-final of the FA Youth Cup. Second leg is on Friday at Stamford Bridge against Chelsea United. 2-1 down. They were, they were bullied, I thought. We didn't really talk about this one before, did we? But they were bullied in the first leg, and uh, Chelsea were very good for their 2-1, probably deserved more than that so it's going to be a real tough outing for the lads if you want uh, loads more in-depth coverage of the youth team and the reserve team in an audio format uh, definitely check out the seven cantonals podcast because they cover all the games at the different levels of uh, united squads during the week so an, an, an excellent listen a few more Twitter questions because we're absolutely inundated. At Dylan MUFC14 asks, which one of us is the better dancer? Right, it's definitely not me. Two left feet. Yeah, that, that's that's I'm I'm afraid a, a really straightforward answer. Much as much as Ed would definitely beat me in a fight, I would definitely beat him in a dance off. No, no question about it. No, I, I, th- I wouldn't even contest that one. To be fair, uh, this is a question. I've seen you dance, though. You get, you get to a certain level of, let's say, uh, relaxedness. Uh, Alcohol and then he related, to, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, alcohol. And he does a little thing where he's got his fists, you know, does little fists and moves his elbows up and down. And it's, you know, it's to the rhythm. It's not, you know, I, I think I think you could be a good dancer, but you just have to work on it a bit. I'd love to see you on a kind of Strictly Come Dancing style reality show where you're taught to dance and deal with your, uh, you know, inability and all that i'd rather throw myself in front of a bus yeah ne- next question please thanks attacking or defensive midfield this is a question from awate at awate 91 attacking or defensive midfielders Both. and what options are there that we can actually get this is the big question isn't it well of course a load of speculation this week yeah i mean i know we're getting silly season but uh renny mullenstein uh talking on the record about eden Hazard, the Lille midfielder. He, to be honest, he, he tends to play sort of out to in. He's he, he, They tend to play him in a sort of wide position, but a lot of the speculation has talked about Ferguson seeing him as a uh, creative central midfielder in a sort of attacking role behind Wayne Rooney in some sort of fashion. So um, he's going to go for huge amounts of money. I just can't see it happening, but Mullenstein admitted that Ferguson had been to see him, and that's who he went to see him. Remember, Ferguson took that trip out to Lyon to watch uh, Lyon versus Lille a few weeks ago. So that one, uh, another piece in Oyogo, or Ojogo, I suppose, being Portuguese, uh, one of the main sports papers there, saying that United have struck up a deal with Benfica for Nicolas Gaitan, the Argentinian, another sort of out-to-in player, definitely plays wide, much more, I'd say more of a wide player, um, and then drifts inside rather than being a, a, a sort of natural playmaker. But uh, they're talking about 22 million plus a couple of other players, and uh, there is a Chinese menu for Benfica to pick from apparently so um, I don't see any of those coming off have to say uh, I, I think United will probably go for young although they both are young but uh, not necessarily at the top of the transfer market and they're both going to be near the top of the transfer market this summer Gaitan has a 45 million euro buyout clause so not quite sure why Benfica would take 50% of that unless uh, they don't believe he's really worth the money at Big Red underscore M asks what did that brochure that Owen sent to Sir Alex Ferguson actually say for him to 
still be at the club. Was it full of bribes? We know where you live. Yeah, it must have been. It must have been, you know. By the way, Sir Alex, all all the dirt that you've amassed over the years, you know, all the, the backhanded, all the backhanders, all the money in safes that you were just looking after for other people. We got it all. Maybe, or maybe it's horse-related and, and Owen's been giving him tips or a, a horse. But perhaps it's like the Cornwall Mafia and he's offered him, you know, some horse spunk for the rest of the horse's life and, and uh, that's piqued Ferguson's interest. Owen won't be staying. I'm sure of it. He can't be. He can't be. I know we talked about this one, but, uh, but geez, that if you thought I went mad when Giggs stayed on the pitch the other night, I would go even madder if Owen stayed. If that glad gets another contract, I will pick it, Carrington. I promise it. Naked. MGZ93 says he feels that Rio deserves as much credit as Evans this season. I think he's been excellent, yeah? Yeah, l- love him. I totally agree. And and this question from at Adam Hutunen, talking of horses, uh, this one is incredibly easy for me to answer, by the way. What would you rather fight, one horse-sized duck or 20 duck-sized horses? Yeah, he's been smoking the same stuff that Alex Ferguson has. Actually, uh, going back to the last question, uh, on Evans, uh, uh, had his worst game for quite some time against Wigan. And uh, aside from the, the red card, he probably should have been seen, uh, should have had. He, he, got, he had a real problem with uh, the Wigan forward players and it was all over the place, really. So uh, perhaps we can get back to slagging Evans off now, can we? No, it's not time for that yet, Ed. And also, you haven't asked the, answered the question about whether you'd rather fight one horse-sized duck or 20 duck-sized horses. I really have no idea. Okay, we, we're not going to get Ed, Ed to answer that. At Gaz Brown, who definitely, definitely has the honour of being the Rantcast listener that has sent me the most amazing tweets about where he's downloading the Rantcast from. He's been on some kind of world tour, which as far as I can work out, basically involves him travelling to exotic locations and finding free Wi-Fi to download the Rantcast. He asks, has there ever been a more unsuitable player manager than Nicholas Anelka, apart from maybe Gaza? Brilliant stuff, yes, apart from Gaza. Well, th- this is the player was almost almost unmanageable for most of his career so maybe he knows a thing or two about tough players to manage he's he's taken over at Shanghai Shenhua the previous coach uh, Jean Tigana has been sacked and and they've appointed Nicholas Anelka which uh, (laughs) which is quite bizarre he's obviously a player of great maturity and a good communicator clearly got to preview the game at the weekend against Aston Villa we'll win right we're playing against Aston Villa well we always beat Aston Villa but then again we've beaten Wigan 14 times in a row so uh, he's scoring a 137 goals in the process yeah at least um unlike Wigan Aston Villa are in absolutely shocking form they only managed to scrape a draw away at Anfield which if that's not three points in the bag I don't know what is they have been woeful this season I'm not really into wanting teams to go down and normally I'm you know end up finding it really difficult to decide who I'd like to go down because I you know I feel for all the clubs and whatever but I would love Villa to go down they have been absolutely woeful I think they've done enough now and, and the teams around them haven't picked up enough points to really suck them down into the mire no no they've got a little bit of a cushion just awful they have been awful and and obviously they don't play a very attractive brand of football either under Alex McLeish and, and uh, I, I would expect them to come to Old Trafford and play something similar of course there's going to be a bit of pressure on United I think so uh, City goes to Norwich on Saturday and uh, imagine they win United will be just the two points ahead uh, of course it could go much better Norwich obviously they're in great form Norwich won at, won at Spurs the other day and City not being great on the road so it's a tough game for City but of course they'll be full of confidence after winning uh, they'll be sniffing blood potentially so uh, we could be in a situation where we've gone from eight points ahead to just the two points ahead in the space of a few days so there might be some pressure on United I can't see Villa causing us real problems but then again I couldn't see QPR or Fulham causing us problems and we only just managed to beat them we didn't only just manage to beat QPR I don't know why you keep saying that we beat them 2-0 they put absolutely no pressure on us we got one dodgy referee in decision but definitely would have won anyway that game was a complete stroll in the park (laughs) (laughs) but but yeah Wigan gave us a lot more problems than maybe we thought they would Norwich I am super super impressed by the fact that Norwich haven't done that thing that teams of that stature do where they're definitely safe and then they completely ease off Paul Lambert's obviously got them really motivated to finish as high as they possibly can right which which of course is Swansea's problem they're they're uh, being found out at the moment aren't they and yeah, and, and Nor- Norwich are on the up still. I mean, a great win at Spurs, although of course Spurs' form has, has fallen off a cliff in recent weeks. Yeah, and I mean, hopefully Norwich will be able to muster up a terrific performance against Man City and, and the level of pressure won't be so great. I mean, I certainly wouldn't be surprised if that game was a draw, although uh, basically n- none of the three possible results would surprise me in that game. They're, they're, there's a, an entirely plausible arguments to be made for a City win, a draw and a Norwich win in that game. But yeah, I, I have to say, and um, hubris be damned, I would be really 
really surprised if Aston Villa managed to cause us a serious problem because there's no question that with the exception of Wolves, Aston Villa have played the worst football in the division for the second half of the season. They've, they've just been, they've sucked the joy. Like I live in Birmingham and the whole city has had all the joy sucked out of it by how bad Aston Villa are. It's They are pathetic and, and play just such horrible football, which is not in their tradition. You know, they you know, won the European Cup and all that. Yes, they did uh, some thirty odd years ago now. So uh, <laughs> it's, time, it's been a long still. time since Villa were a, a uh, quote unquote big club. So, but it's not not been a long time since. Well, I mean, it has. You know, Villa pushed us for the league title once upon a time, not that long ago. I mean, I guess it's a long time ago now, and I'm just an old man. But still, but it's certainly not in Villa's tradition, even in recent years, to play such pragmatic football. To do a dis- terrible disservice to the word pragmatic, they play functional football. Barely, barely functional. The football. strange thing, of course, is. Uh, it was not that long since uh, we were looking at Villa and they had a, a whole bunch of youthful players and they played with a real zest and, and uh, United needed a very late late goal, didn't they, to, to get some points at Villa Park. A late two goals. Late two goals, in fact, yeah. So, um, and, and Villa Villa at that time were playing some great football. Uh, O'Neill went, he's doing well with Sunderland now and you, you wonder whether Villa might have regretted having that argument with him because they've got in McLeish a manager who's not going to take them forward, you know, if if they want to manage to just about not get relegated every season, well, that's about where they are. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if, if McLeish's form's anything to go by, they'll get relegated next season. Yeah, there you go. So, I mean, I suppose if we're predicting what's going to come out of this game, we're, we'll both be predicting a United win, right? Yeah, no question about that from, from my point of view. 3-1. I know it seems ridiculous to suggest that the team that just played against Wigan is capable of scoring three goals, but I do I do think that it's going to be a rocket up them, that performance. And I also think that Scholes is going to have to play every single game for the rest of the season now. And I still think we're going to win the title. I mean, I'm not hubristically confident about it, but I think one of the reasons it was so great that we had an eight-point cushion uh, after the game against QPR and the fact that... City lost to Arsenal is that we had a bit of wiggle room and and I I still think it's entirely plausible that City will drop more points along the way yeah they were good against West Brom at home but you know we'll, we'll see because at some point even if Mancini's trying to take the pressure off them if they do become front runners the pressure will be heaped back on again and I don't know I just think I think United, we're obviously in a better position than they are. You wouldn't swap positions with them, would you? No, no, right. You wouldn't. And uh, I mean, I'm in agreement with you. I think United will win fairly comfortably against Villa. Although I'm not sure it's going to be a a pretty, pretty match in in any sense. Uh, The other thing about the rocket up them. Yeah, sure. I mean, I I hate it. It's such a cliche because Ferguson talks about bouncing back in a response and all of that. But yeah, true. We we do need that. I'm not sure where all the changes are going to come, though. So where's the surprise going? to be if, if he sticks with Evera, Ferdinand, Evans, De Gea and then brings Raphael back and and, and, and I presume Valencia, Carrick, Scolves plus AN other. I, I wonder whether he might make a change up front because there hasn't been a hasn't really been much from Welbeck or, or uh, Hernandez and uh, maybe, I mean this would be a fairly radical change, maybe he'll go with Rooney up front and drop Young in behind and Nani will come back into the side and, and throw a whole bunch of attacking players at it and a kind of flexible formation. That would be a radical way to go but uh, I guess he yanked off Young didn't he the other night or substitute him should I say <laughs> rather <laughs> unfortunate I mean you know Sir Alex really didn't know he cared Young came off early the other night which was I, I thought was a bit of a surprise actually he wasn't having a terrible game by other people's standards so but Maybe a change in that sense. There's got to be a, something from United. I mean, another performance like that, and and it'll be an utter disaster. Yeah, and it's my birthday the day this episode comes out, so it would be nice if United could give us all a present by winning. Although it was uh, Nick at Man United Youth's birthday for the Wigan game, so happy birthday for last week, Nick, and sorry it was such a miserable performance from United. Hopefully uh, my birthday will prove better fortune let's hope so and, and happy birthday to you 21 again or something something along those lines absolutely every, every year without fail let's hope this weekend's better than the last couple of days has been and we're celebrating by the time we come back to this podcast next week uh, a united victory over aston villa let's hope norwich do the business at carrow road uh, delia you know maybe she's had a drink or two with the city boys and and got them a bit hung over because uh, our lads clearly were so that'd only be fair yeah. what with the conspiracies and all that and uh, we'll be back with you next week can't wait